This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, what's up, everyone? Carm Capriato back with you at the Transformers 2022. And yeah, I know you've heard me say this over and over again. We're in Cancun and someone had to do it. Remarkable Results Radio, the premier podcast for personal professional development in the automotive service aftermarket. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member side has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Well, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. John DeJulius is here. You just heard his voice. And I have become such a huge fan of John that when I saw the schedule and you were going to be a keynote speaker this morning, because I interviewed you two years ago virtually, and now you're here live. I've read his books, Customer Service Revolution and Relationship Economy. And I showed him, he signed the books and I showed him how I take notes in a book. And he was, he says, all the pages that I would sign, Carm, you wrote on right, them. I, mean, right, right, I won't forget that. That was cool. <laughs> I have to remember, I never to do that again in case I ever meet the author, right? But this guy is a quintessential customer service person, and uh, you were on fire today. Thank you for the Thank hour you. and a half you spent with us. And I really think, I really think motivated the group. We went from Disney World to you, you name all the great stories. But I want to know something a little bit more about how you got to be such a premier person. I mean, you some of the biggest brands in the industry, I mean, you work with. It's so impressive to see some of these Fortune 500 companies that's invited John to come in and help them create a customer experience above and beyond anything that exists. And by the way, John owns salons in Cleveland. And that was kind of the basis that made you blossom, wasn't it? Yeah, everything is an accident, right? I love telling kids, and what I mean by kids is Tracy and under, you know, 30 and under, but yeah. uh, how everything is an accident. And both of my primary careers were freak accidents. And if we would have known each other 30 years ago, I would have bet you a million dollars. You know, if you would have said, hey, someday you're going to own salons, I said, no, I'm not. And if you would then, when I was operating the salons, if you said you'd be a, a consultant speaking, I was at no interest. Um, but try to keep it a short story. Met my wife, who was this amazing hairdresser. Um, when I got out of college, I was, uh, I chose to go driving for UPS. I was loading trucks in the middle of the night all during college. And so back in 1989, I had the option of, uh, with my marketing degree, getting about an 18 to $20,000 salary somewhere, or I had enough seniority to go driving at UPS, which was $45,000, which was a billion dollars to me at the time, right? And so, but there was a drawback to that, right? It wasn't a job I loved, got me out of debt, but you know, whether you make $45,000 or a hundred or a million, you're going to spend a million and one, you're going to spend 46, right? So our income adjusted, bought a house, you know, I started having kids. And so now I have golden handcuffs because I can't, you know, go anywhere, you know, and make half that. So now I'm hoping, I'm saying, God, in 28 more years, three months and two days, I could retire. And I'm thinking, what an awful way to go through life is hoping I get old as fast as I can. So I knew I always wanted to own my own business. I always had these, you know, crazy ideas. And so the only thing I could think of was I wanted to be a business owner and I love sports. I had played baseball in college, but that was as far as that was going to go. So I thought, um, all right, I'll open a sporting goods store. That was like the only two plus two I could put together. So I met my wife and, and she was this unbelievable hairdresser. And so we opened a salon hoping that if that took off, that would give us quit a good paying job and, and try my thing. She struggled at first, you know, not knowing, but we didn't know better. And we almost went out of business for the first four or five weeks. So I jumped in. I was just like doing the books at night after I get home from UPS. So I started getting really involved to try to make sure this wasn't the quickest business in history. And then between her technical expertise, which, which your audience can relate to, technical expertise and my customer experience that I was, for some reason, I was just passionate about. I don't know if I was passionate about it at the time, but we had the three no's. No money, no customers, no employees. 
And we couldn't out spend out, advertise out, build all the salons up and down our street. But the, you know, the industry as a lot were back then was horrible at customer service, horrible at employee experience and, and all those things. So we said, all right, that's where we're going to be. We're not going to be the best salon. We're going to be the best experience of your day, right? Cause that's an important distinction. Cause we can all say we have, you know, the best automotive experience. But here's the thing. If I bring my car to you, I then don't go down the street to your competitor and compare. I don't need a, an auto repair service for a while, hopefully. So what am I comparing my experiences to? Everything else I'm doing that day. So we wanted you to go to the doctor's office or meet your girlfriends for lunch or go shopping and be disappointed in everything that followed. We wanted to have like a hangover of like, why don't they greet me as well as, you know, John Roberts Spa? Why aren't they, you know, all those things. So we get involved and also the salon starts booming, taking off, growing, uh, you know, unprecedented. And so shortly after that, in the mid nineties, people in Cleveland started asking me to speak chambers of commerce, you know, but they were like, Hey, you know, you guys got a great reputation. My wife goes there and we want to hear what you're doing. So I only did it because I thought it was good marketing, right? You'd hear me speak. Yeah, especially locally. That's all it was. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, you know, you'd buy your wife a gift certificate and, you know, yeah. that's all. It's fine. I wasn't getting paid for it. But every time I spoke, two or three people would come up after business owners and say, can we hire you to come in and do this for, you know, our company? I'm like, do what? I don't understand, like, what you're asking. I didn't know there was a, a thing, uh, you know. And so then I started speaking. But running the business, and, and I thought, you know, I was going to be in the salon industry for the rest of my life and build that. And then, you know, kept on getting more and more opportunities. And so finally, 20 years ago, next month, uh, January 2003, my first book came out and Secret Service. And so up to that point, I was a salon owner that spoke a half a dozen times, mostly in the beauty industry where I belonged um, at big events. To teach them the customer service yeah. aspect of what they're missing. Right. What drove you to write the book? I'm getting invited to speak at some bigger events. The Michael Gerbers and Jim Gilmore and, and the rock stars back then were on main stage. I was doing a breakout where you needed a map and a flashlight to find. Got it. And justifiably so. 30 people, no PowerPoint. Right, yeah, right, so. right, right. You know, and so what I do is I, I'd watch them. I'd be like, oh my God, like they're great. Yeah, right, right. So I'd wait in line with, you know, the hundred people after they got done speaking and I'd go up and say, hi, I'm a speaker too. I think I can, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And they were like, slow down. And they were so generous. That's how I got some of my early interviews. <laughs> right, right. And so they just, they gave me tips. They gave me their number. They couldn't have been more generous. And they told me what I needed to do. And they gave me a bunch of advice. And so one of the things is you got to write a book. Yeah. And so I, I wrote my first book, uh, Secret Service. And so when it came out, it took me from being a salon owner that, that spoke a little bit to a speaker that owns salons. And then I started getting hired by real companies, Chick-fil-A, Ritz-Carlton, Starbucks, and, you know, learned more than I was teaching them. And then it just exploded. And now I haven't been in the salon industry since. Because the world is void of outstanding, exceptional customer service. It's, we're void of it. Yeah. It and, and I also think one of my competitive advantages, if you want to call it back then, I was a, an entrepreneur doing it. Versus just someone that sure. was telling people how yeah, to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was living at the pointy end of the spear in my own business, trying to make payroll, trying to keep customers happy. You know, it was a living laboratory. So that gave me a lot of credibility because I, I was achieving that in my own yeah. business. When I think of Greg Bunch at Transformers, I mean, he still owns his shop. So he's a, here he is a coach and a leader of a, a organization like this. But he, you know, his baseline, if you will, is, is still owning the business. John, I think you hit on something incredible. She was an incredible, talented hairdresser. Yes. So many shop owners today that are in my audience that are struggling in our industry were phenomenal technicians and they started a business. I don't care who you are, restaurant, right? You're an amazing chef, amazing landscaper, amazing IT. And you may wake up one day and say, I'm sick of making the guy rich. And, and go off on their own. Yeah, it's easy. Right. And then you hang a shingle, but you don't know the business end of it. Customer comes in and complains and you throw them out. What happened to us, and I believe it applies to your industry, why the salons were successful um, immediately and, and still are, but well, back then was most artists, right? In any business, a technician, uh, a repair, uh, a hairdresser, chef, 
they are so good at this. We're talking about they, they don't have the business savvy. So the, so the pendulum is way over here, but the business process systems, customer service, employee experience, all those were crappy. When I got into it, I was over here with only the business. Yeah. Didn't know how to cut hair, you know, save my life. My wife was over here and we kind of fought for, and it kept the pendulum in the middle. Got it. She had to teach me, hold on, hairdressers don't want to work at IBM. So tone that down a little bit. You can't be corporate, corporate system, systems only. Quite frankly, a lot of small businesses just didn't have that. So that pendulum of, you know, business with the artistry. One of the things you talked about today was the price of some of the services that you have. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but you mentioned $150 mm-hmm. of something. And I don't remember if it was a color and a cut or it was a, a haircut. It was, a haircut. A, it was a haircut. Yeah. And how that you are probably the highest priced uh, salon organization group in Cleveland. Correct. The message that I pulled from that, that I want to cover here for just a little bit, is we are struggling in our industry to have people raise their labor rate of what they charge per hour. And it's, I can't do that. I'm going to lose customers. If I do that, I'll be the highest price in town. This is a, such a great story about the shop down the road that yeah. says haircuts for what, 10 bucks? And then you put up a sign. But tell us yeah. how it is that you guys have justified being the highest price and how you give such exceptional customer services that price just doesn't matter. Yeah, our whole shtick uh, is to make price irrelevant. And you get pushback. It's impossible to make price irrelevant. Well, what I don't mean by making price irrelevant is that you can just pick a number out of thin air and say, I'm going to charge 500, 1,000, you know, 10,000, and people will pay it. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is making price irrelevant means based on the experience your brand consistently delivers, your customers should have no idea what your competition charges because they should never be window shopping. I'm so loyal to a few businesses. Now, there's others that you better be the cheapest or I'm going somewhere else because, you know, there's a, you know, a few businesses we all do business with that, you know, have built such peace of mind, an emotional connection, you know, compassion and empathy and have made brilliant comebacks that, you know, I'm not going anywhere else. So that's what we were all about. We wanted to be the highest. There's no business I know of that are the highest that go out of business. We actually get more customers by being the highest. I mean, even when I spoke, obviously I started off free, 500, 1500, right? And I lost speeches, opportunities. People call and say, I hear you're really good. What do you charge? I go, I, I charge 5,000. And like, oh, I'm like, I could do it for 4,000. And they're like, we'll give it. And I found out, I lost credibility. They're like, oh, I thought you were a real speaker. Yeah. Right. So now that, you know, I'm, you know, much higher, I get more clients from that end because they think that's, you know, justifies that you have to justify. But anyway, back to this story. We were, we were three, four times as much as, as the average hair salon in Cleveland. And there was a, a salon four doors down from one of our locations that's put a sign in the window. We do $10 haircuts and our staff panicked. They thought they were running us out of business. And, and they thought we had to start discounting. I said, no, that's, we don't play that game. Um, let's focus on our experience. Let's strengthen, be brilliant at the basics. Let's raise it. And then we put a sign in our window that said, we fix $10 haircuts. I love it. And then that salon went out of business about 10 years uh, later. So I believe in price match guarantee the opposite way. Yeah. Um, and I want the mentality to be in my business and my client's business is that there is no one better and what we do than us from an expertise and an experience standpoint, and we will not be oversold. In fact, if you can find it higher somewhere else, we will raise our prices and match it. <laughs> I love it. Please yeah. let that sink right. in. And, and, and so you go back to that story. If you tell me, John, I just looked up and there's a salon in Cleveland that actually charges $170 for a haircut. That would piss me off. Now, I wouldn't say, well, damn it, we're charging 175 It doesn't work like that. I would have to go find out what they're doing to justify that $170 haircut. Prettier salon, better customer service, prettier chandelier, better coffee, whatever it is. We find out, we'd raise our game, and then we could outprice them. It's like if you said, John, I, I actually came across a customer service speaker that charges more than you. That would piss me off. I'd be like, how dare they? But- I wouldn't just raise my price five or $10,000. I'd want to know how they're just, do they customize their presentation better? Are they funnier? Are they this? And I would, you know, that would force me to raise my game. So being the most expensive, you have to justify it. So obviously 
when you were charging 500 whatever the number is it doesn't matter let's just pick a number when you were charging two thousand speaker when you're charging say two thousand dollars as a speaker and now whatever the number doesn't matter you're in the audience you're very animated uh the slides are all in particular order you're offering did all of that what you do today evolve because oh. you wanted to be at that highest rate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so the story is we want to be at that highest rate. What are we as an industry? Raising. What are you as a what shop are we owner? Raising? Yeah. What are you doing to justify it? So we do this exercise that your listeners can do. So in the hair industry, we'd say we get our, our team together. And, and this is, you know, 25 years ago. I'm, I'm not involved in the hair salons anymore, but, but back when I was, I'd say, you know, what if we raise our prices to, um, you know, a thousand dollar haircut? And this might be when we were charging 50, right? Our staff was like, Oh my God, we, you know, you can't do that. Let's, what if, what would your greeting be like when someone walked in? What's a thousand dollar greeting, right? What's a thousand dollar shoulder, neck and head massage that we do before a shampoo? Would it even be legal? Right. And you, you go through when you open the drawer and take the comb or brush out to do someone's hair. Would you have to say, hold on, let me take the last person's hair out of the comb. Right. Or would it be a sealed, you know, thing? so you go through and you get, let's say, 30, uh, you know, examples of what we would do if we charged a thousand for the DeJulius group. What if we charge a million dollars for a keynote speech? Imagine that. What would that look? What would the customization? What would when you show up? All that go through the exact same. You get all these ideas. Then let's say you get thirty really good ideas, and then twenty-eight of them don't cost anything. So then we say, well, why don't we give a thousand-dollar haircut experience and only charge fifty? How easy will it be next year to take our fifty-dollar haircut to sixty-five or seventy? Give the experience before you're charging for it, and then you can get there. Be there before you get there, and you'll get there. Hey, Carm here. Just to let you know that Napa Auto Care was top rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the chains and independent repair shops category. Ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit. Napa Auto Care has the largest network of independent professional shops in North America with over 17,000 locations. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing through the already successful Know How for All campaign, which promotes auto care-specific offerings. You also get support to promote your local repair facility with targeted media in local markets and in proven channels. You can also utilize a full calendar year of promotions with Napa Auto Care sales driver promotions that are 100% fully funded by Napa. And this includes free email marketing, digital and print point of sale materials. Also connect a national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the nationally recognized Napa brand. Also partner with Napa Smart Sign to educate customers with engaging video that tell the why behind the needed repair or service. You can access editable digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Also offer a credit solution to customers with Napa Easy Pay Consumer Financing. Stay top of mind with your business name embossed on the credit card. Also have an online presence when consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. Hey, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa Know-How for All national marketing campaign, contact your salesperson or servicing Napa Auto Parts store. We're talking about raising labor rates. Too many people in the industry are saying, I'm going to lose customers, but the exercise- They're losing employees. Because the profit's not there to pay for the good ones right. to stick around. I think the industry is slowly starting to get that. It's the moves that aren't happening. It's the being proactive and I'm learning, but I'm not doing. I'm, you know, I've got to be a better learner to take advantage of the things that I'm learning. But do this exercise, sit down with your team and say, we're going to raise our labor rates and say it's currently at $110. You believe that in order to really be successful, you probably need to be maybe around 149, 150. And you say, what if we raised our labor rate team to 200? 250. Make a stretch. Yeah, stretch it. So and I then got have the, the discussion. 
And so it goes back to if I was in, in the shop industry, I talked about this today and you brought your car in yeah. and I see that you have, you know, Diet Coke Sprite, you know, an old bottle in the cup holder. I'm going to put an, a fresh one cold when you pull up and you're like, how did he know I like, you know, Diet Sprite? Right. These little things that really don't take anything, but they would certainly justify. And I want to make sure no one listening thinks, all right, I'm, I just got to raise my prices tomorrow. You have to justify it. Yeah. You have to be a bargain at $250. Now, 150 who's going to, you know, sneeze at that? Are we worth it? Yeah. You mentioned today that we are, as a consumer, so vulnerable when we have a broken down car. How do you cushion the blow? That's what you, you talk about. Yeah. So, you know, we call industries like yours a grudge buy, right? A grudge buy is the two things I don't want to do. I didn't have $500, $2,500 burning a hole in my bank account saying, what can I spend this on, right? No one is excited about spending $2,500 on a repair, right? So it's not what I want to do with my money, but even worse or pretty close, depending on, on the person I don't have the time to lose today, right? If you could magically fix my car and I don't lose a minute of my day, that that would be worth it. But I don't have three hours to take it in, going to work late, come back, you know, all those things. So that's a grudge buy. Going to the dentist, you know, paying insurance, you know, going to see the doctor with, with a back problem or physical therapy or getting my car repaired, right? But there's an advantage with when your grudge buy means you're dealing with people that's most vulnerable point. The worst part of my week, worst part of my month is my car is broken down. I'm having problems. It's, it's causing me delays. I need to get it fixed. You know, going to the dentist. If I haven't been to your shop, I'm judging you like my past experiences. This is going to stink. I don't know if I could trust them. It's going to be a delay. It's going to be a, they're going to tell me it'll be done in three hours and it's going to be done in three days. You know, all the things we've conjured up from bad experience in the past. And I come in and dude, this sucks for you. I know, you know, this is the last thing. Here's what we're going to do. And you help me get back to whole sooner and you're on my side and When you can come to the rescue for people when they're at their most vulnerable, there is an emotional connection and a memory to that that I'm jealous of, that in the salon industry, that as a consultant, that a Starbucks, that a Ritz-Carlton doesn't get a chance to do because most of our customers aren't coming, you know, to us for, you know, in a vulnerable spot. And I get jealous of the grudge buys because of the emotional connection that can be made when you come to the rescue. And so, as I talked about today, a lot of my clients in Grudge by use the theme, who's going to wear the cape today? You could be a hero 15 times today. I'm mad because I can't be a hero 15 times this year. Stop and think about that. Be the hero for the client. Prices are relevant. Calm them down. Hopefully, this, this is a client that you know. You know all about them. You've right. built a relationship. Prices are relevant. And just be their hero. Get them on their way. Make them happy. Yeah. When you're in it with me, when you make me feel that you're in it with me yeah. and you understand the inconvenience I'm going through, that changes everything. So what happens when a client walks in and says, hey, I can get it cheaper down the road? And that's a critical. And every person listening better have this articulated and it better be part of their training because Right now, you know, everyone listening, someone is getting asked that on your team. You know, you charge what? Oh, <laughs> you know, and then they say, well, you know, I, I called this place or there's an ad in the, you know, on the internet, you know, 50%, whatever it's called. And it's what we say next. And too many people shrink and they say, oh, we'll, we'll match it. We'll lower our price. We'll throw in a free oil change. And that's shrinking. I love when people ask me about price. So let's say Greg, and this didn't happen, but let's say Greg calls up and speaks to, you know, Claudia and says, you know, I heard John's a good speaker and we're looking for a keynote speaker for our conference on customer service. And, and, uh, you know, how much does he charge? She quotes him and he's surprised. He's like, whoa, the other customer service speakers I'm looking at are five, 10, $15,000 cheaper. Okay. So Claudia is going to say, oh, yeah, I could see why, you know, that's important. I'm sure your budget's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me ask you a couple of questions, Greg. Uh, you know, hey, this is an annual conference. Yeah, yeah. We get everyone to get once a year. Yeah, yeah. Once a year we bring them in. So if that speaker you hire for five, ten thousand dollars less stinks or, or doesn't deliver like you hope, 
It's not like you can get everyone back together next month in Cancun and do it right. No, 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 no. These people are coming. You know, that's it. That's it for 2022. Okay. Let me ask you something else, Greg. The people attending this conference, they're members, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're members. And what do you think your annual conference, the Transformer Institute conference, what do you think that, uh, how important that is to them resigning to, you know, be members again and coming back next year? Oh, it's one of the highest things our members say why they are members, right? That the annual conference, besides a bunch of other things and our retention to the next year's conference will be dependent on how good we are this year. So Claudio said, so what you're telling me, Greg, is if your keynote speaker doesn't crush it, you might lose members and you'll definitely next year's conference have a harder time getting your um, attendance won't go up. It'll probably go down a hundred percent. Greg will say a hundred percent. Claudia will say, huh? And then Greg's, you know, she just, you know, now he's thinking, I can't afford to hire the $15,000 speaker, right? Yeah. I can't afford because what it's going to cost me, I'm going to lose members, lose attendance, lose credibility. And so that's how the whole way you have to answer it. And you could tell me how that works in your world. And I'm guessing, and we've all had this. What if you don't repair the car yeah. the right way? Oh, that's okay. You can come back next week and we'll re-repair it. I don't have another day to bring my car back to you. Exactly. Right. And all of a sudden you start putting these doubts in someone's mind and we're not disparaging competition. We're just saying the peace of mind of doing business with us, it's going to be done right. And all the other things. I look at whatever the number was, John, uh, divided by the number of people in the room. There's the cost per head. It's not the big picture regarding a paying for a speaker. It's the cost per head. And I invested this in my membership. I'm investing this, this in my customer. In our industry, it's kind of a, a little different because you got a person in their vulnerable spot. But if we haven't educated the customer kind of before they come in, I mean, I, we saw you do a little bit of that stuff. And there's this trend in our industry is to, to get the video to a brand new customer before they come in. So the ice has been broken. And because in many cases on our counters, we don't have a chance to explain in depth everything we do. So, so Carm, help me understand. What's the video look like before it's, I'm a customer? Hi, it's Carm. I'm yeah. so glad you're coming in tomorrow. I'm the oh, service. Okay, all right. So I I'm the service the appointment. I'm yeah. Oh, I love I'm the that. Sir, I'm the service advisor. Here's what we're going to do when you come in. We're going to put all your critical information if you haven't already done it on our website. Yeah. And we're going to do a complete That'll expedite your check-in, yeah, check-out. Yeah, all yeah. that. Here's what you can expect. The script's on the wall in the back office. You take your selfie video and you just fill in the blanks and you're helping this individual come in with already a feeling of, I know these people. So many things I love about what you just described, Carm. We all have our stereotypes, right? Of every industry. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, ah, man, did I make the right call with this shop? Yeah, remorse, buyer remorse. Right, are they going to, you know, give me one price and then, you know, tell me this? Are they going to tell me it's three hours and it's three days? All these things going through it. Now, all of a sudden, I get a video and Carm's a real person and he's a nice guy and he smiles and there's a, behind him is a picture of his family. You know, now I, I, you know, he's a human being and He's in the certainty business. And the biggest anxiety, and this is why the pandemic was so hard on all of us, they say the biggest cause of anxiety is uncertainty, okay? And every business has to be in the certainty business. There was a study done, I think Chris Voss or or someone talked about this in, in one of his books. There was a group of people, let's say 100 people in an auditorium. And they said, listen, you're going to be sitting here for 45 minutes and you're doing it. But we have to tell you, 50% of you are going to get an electric shock in your chair. And so we're going to give you an option. You can wait and see if you're the 50% that gets it or doesn't. Or if you want, you could take the shock now and get it over with. (laughs) Close to 80% took the shock because they couldn't stand the unknown. Right? I mean, think about that. We can go to a doctor's and get an MRI. Now, the technician at the doctor's can't say what the results are yet. He can't provide that certainty. But what they can provide is say, Carm, here's what's going to happen. Your x-rays are going to be sent to the radiologist. 
They're going to do this. And then they're going to send that within 24 or 48 hours to your doctor. And you're going to get a call from your doctor or it's going to be on my chart or whatever. And that's being in a certainty business, yeah, right? Yeah. You didn't tell me if I, you know, negative or positive, but I know. And so that's what you're doing. That video does is you put me in it. Here's what you're going to expect to do when you drop off your car tomorrow. And here's this gap. And we're going to do a you know, diagnostic. And I'm so out of my league right now. Boom, boom, boom. You gave me peace of mind versus you know, whatever I'm thinking. Hey, uh, I'm going to tell you a real story. My wife went for her traditional mammogram three years ago now. They found something. So they did the biopsy in the office and said, go home, we'll call you by X. And when X came around, we got no call. Mm. And it just really put all oh kinds. God. This whole uncertainty thing was so heavy. And of course, she had breast cancer. Oh. And Sorry. beat it. Oh, thank and God. And beat it, I know. That was three, where that th- story was going. Three years. But I'll never forget oh that time just being 3 together waiting. You're getting called by 3 p.m. Now it's 3.01. Now it's 4.30. Now it's the next day. And every horrible thought in the world. And here's the thing. Sometimes, hey, did you call, you know, Garrett back? No, because I haven't heard from Terry the answer I need to call him back. Then you call him back with that. Right. If you don't have an answer for your customer, you call them back with that. Hey, Carm, I want to let you know I haven't found out yet if we can get that part in or when the parts come in or whatever it is. And I'm working on it and I hope to have an answer no later than noon tomorrow. That's an answer. But when you don't call me back when you said you do, now I start thinking, oh, I know what it is. I don't spend enough with him. I'm not a VIP. He has too many customers. And I need to start going somewhere else. What your wife went through or healthcare, that is cruelty to ever do. Now, if someone had called and said, you know, I apologize, we don't have the test results back. We do expect them by, you know, at least she would have felt a little better. Well, John, she never went back. Yeah, I'm sure. She never went back. She, of course, found the doctors that were going to take care of her who had their own screening systems. And uh, she said, hey, do you have screening systems? Yes. Okay, good. I want to come to your place. Now, right. she, I don't think she explained to them the, the pressure that they put her under. There's if, so many parallels to your geez, industry. If, if you yes. say you're going to do something at yes. this time, to your point, do it. Good or bad answers. Same thing with price. The only time we get a price complaint in any of my businesses is not because the customers are cheap or they're not willing to pay it. One is the experience didn't warrant the price we're charging. Okay. And I want to circle back to that because there's a really good story to that. But another one is why we get a complaint is because it might have said, uh, highlights, $150 and up. She checks out and it's 205. We never communicate. We never, she just remembers 150. She doesn't remember enough. Hey, what you're asking for is this, this, and this, and that, and you have long hair, you know, whatever. That's going to cost about 205. Do you still want me to proceed? She might say, no, no, I only have a hundred. All right, I'll back off. We'll do 150. You know, I just understand you won't get everything you originally asked for or 205 is fine. But when I go up expecting to pay 150 and it's 205, I feel ripped off. Right. And so that's what we got to make sure that's the certainty business. That's the why someone, but a great story I have back to the salon example, you know, my staff, you know, young hairdressers, they feel guilty about charging 75, 125, $150 for a haircut when they themselves might not pay that. And so anytime they would get a complaint, they say it's because my prices are too high. They're complaining because our prices are selling from their own wallet. 20 years ago, I had a, a woman go to our level one designer. She was probably charging 35 at the time. We have level ones to level tens. Level tens are the ones in 100, 150. Okay. She gets up, she leaves. She says, I didn't like my experience. It wasn't worth it. $35, right? We say, we're so sorry. We will not charge you. And we'll give you a gift certificate with one of our level six designers who charged $70. Okay. We want you to, you know, try us again, blah, blah, blah. Okay. The woman comes back. 20 years later, today, that woman is still coming to us. She's with that who was once one, a level six designer at $70, $75, who now is charging $150, okay? Think about that. At $35, she felt she was getting ripped off. She's paying $150 every four weeks. That's a bargain to her. It's not the price, it's the experience. It's everything we give it with it. 
So don't blame it on the price. I have to tell you, my brain never stops, John. And you just told me about these, the level 10 people that charge 150 bucks. And here's my thought. We have crew of technicians in our company, in our shops. And I was thinking, wow, could my guy who could, you know, take his lab coat out and the computers, plug in, do all this high level diagnostics, fix that the car won't start. No other shop in town could fix it. And you've come and we're going to put our level 10 technician on it. Oh, and by the way, he gets paid blankety blank. He would have a waiting list. He would have a waiting list. And then your level one or two wide open. And maybe you guys are very thought of this, but uh, what was it? 10, 15 years ago, celebrity chef or Uh whatever those shows that came out. Now chefs are like, even if the chef came over to our table, Oh, the chef, the chef, the (laughs) restaurant industry did a great job by making a chef. We should do that. Or you should do that with your technicians. You're right. We need to elevate our technicians, but when they do a different kind of service, we typically have a different labor rate because we're putting one of our more experienced guys that we've invested so much in training on that, that rate that if you will, that testing or diagnostic rate is much higher than our typical door rate. But I love the concept, almost the marketing feel that we're going to put one of our level 10 guys on this. And our testing rate is $210 an hour to get this thing figured out. I love my car. It's, it's, it's a fancy car. I don't want you putting a rookie on my car. I would pay more to make sure. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, the most expensive in any industry, in any city, is the most demand. You said something this morning that my listener has to hear. You were talking about the tax you pay for discounting. Yeah, discounting is the tax you pay for being average. It hurts and it's painful. Now, maybe, you know, there's some brands that's their strategy. You know, great. But don't chase price. Don't be the lowest bidder. So you want more proof that people can make price irrelevant? Apple, right? You know, millions just upgraded the Apple 14 iPhone, right? For $1,400 or $1,300. You kidding me? She wants one. I bought it too, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, you look at all these great brands who've proven they've made price irrelevant, but it wasn't just because they picked a number of the hat. They justify it. And it's all the things. I mean, there's six things that make a brand customers can't live without. Hopefully I'll remember them. Okay. But these six things are number one, the quality, the quality of work. Now, here's the thing. Don't think that the quality of work, our nearest competitors are pretty close to what we do, right? If you go get a, say, I've never had anything other than the iPhone, but I'm sure I've heard the Samsung and Galaxy. Those are good phones, but people are more loyal to Apple. The second thing is the consistency. The enemy of great customer experience is inconsistency, which we call employee roulette. And employee roulette means your level of experience is based on which employee you get. That's horrible. We all battle with that. So they're consistent. They're brilliant at the basics. No matter who I get, you know, if you get calm, yeah. But if you don't get calm, you know, wait for, you know, you, you don't want that. The third thing I'm trying to remember all is employee evangelism. Okay. These great, you go into, into Apple and they're geniuses. They are amped up about two things. One, they love what they do. They're geeks and you could tell and they're oozing and they want to yeah, talk to you about, yeah. and you're like, dude, well, you know, calm down, just fix my computer. <laughs> but you do like that, right? You like the enthusiasm. They like who they do it for too. They love Apple. They're proud of the company they work for. So that employee evangelism, they educate versus sell. I am a, a technology geek. I used to say I was a closet, uh, you know, geek, but I've probably come out of the closet. Like I have to have the newest thing as soon as it comes out. It's a sickness, right? I am so afraid you're going to have a bell or a whistle that I don't have, right? (laughs) Horrible, horrible thing. So years ago, I had, you know, one of the iPads, the original iPad, and the iPad 2 came out. Oh my God, I got to have it. So I run into the Apple store and the genius says, how can I help you? I say, I have the iPad. I want the iPad 2. Easy. Grab box. Here's my credit card. I'm gone. He doesn't do that. He says, let me ask you, what do you use the iPad for currently? Needs assessment. Right. I say everything. Well, can you be more specific? Yeah. Emails. I read. It's my Kindle. I read articles, social media. Yeah, yeah. He goes, all right, good, good. Do you uh, watch movies? He goes, no. no. I, I say, no, not on my iPad. He goes, do you play video games? I'm like, no, never. He goes, forget about it. I said, what? 
He goes, the only difference between the iPad 2 and the iPad, the original iPad that you have, is the graphic design card. If you don't watch movies or you don't play games, you will not see any benefit of it. I'm like, dude, come on. I go, I will start playing games. Sell me a game. I want the iPad. But I would say I didn't buy it based on his recommendation. All right. But I became a lifelong customer of his. And the next time I came in and he suggested, I bought it. And then, you know, one of the, the six things is the, is the how you make me feel, that you personalize, you get to know me, that I'm a human being, I'm not just next, I'm not just, you know, the radiator or, or whatever it is. I'm John, who has three boys, who needs his car for whatever he does, and, you know, I'm a human being. I got to stop for a moment yeah. and say this. If you're loving what you're hearing and John's inspiring you, motivating you, the two books that I read that I, I think are just so incredibly important for our industry, if you want to really kick your customer service up, the relationship up, is, of course, Customer Service Revolution. That came out in 2015. The relationship economy came out in 2020. Oh, John, capitalize the word customer. Oh, my God, John, that was such a big takeaway. Anytime you write a policy or send an email, the word customer needs to be capitalized. It's brilliant. Everything in our vocabulary as a company, the C and customer or client or whatever we make, yeah. one of our business, the salons is guest, yeah. is capitalized just to show the emphasis. I love that. I love it. Get his books. I want to encourage you that if you ever have a chance to see this guy talk, you will absolutely get your money's worth. Let's button this thing up with the Disney experience because we, I think most of my listeners can relate to why Disney works so good. And you were up there talking about the Disney Institute and I had a chance to spend three days at it working for a company as we were working on a strategic plan. And I walked away with one of Disney's principles and I don't know where this fits in their hierarchy was look them in the eye and smile. Mm -hmm. And I so fell in love with that. And so much of what you do in the teachings of your book that Ford yeah. is all about, let's cover Ford for everyone. I know we covered it in the last episode, but that was two years ago. Yeah. Got all kinds of new listeners. And we were now. in a pandemic. We were in our pajamas and, and all that. That's right. So, but let's talk about Ford and let's talk about a little bit of how Disney fits into this incredible level of service. Yeah. So Ford is uh, from the relationship. Well, it, it's from both books. And, and what it helps is when we meet, we all are pre-coded, genetically coded to be consumed with ourselves, right? I mean, it's my flight that was delayed. It's my son that got in trouble yesterday. It's my number one salesperson that is put in his resignation, right? And that's hard to turn off. So when I bump into Carm and we say, and he's like, how are you doing? And what are you doing? And I throw up on Carm and say, you wouldn't believe Carm. The flight, lost my luggage, my son, yada, yada, da, da, da. And me and Carm had 15 minutes and walk away. And I'm like, oh, me and Carm are, are like this. We really aren't. I mean, I threw up on Carm. I talked about myself. I couldn't tell you, you know, anything other than Carm, you know, seemed like a nice guy and his name was Carm. I didn't build a relationship. I just talked about myself. That's a hard urge. So I say- But you're talking transactional. Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah, right. So I say, you know, a great technique to help us stay off ourself and focus on the other person is you have to try to learn two or more things of their Ford, F-O-R-D. Right. Family, occupation, recreation and dreams. So now I'm thinking, all right, you know, Carmen, you married, you have kids. It's not like a stalker checklist. It just comes up organically. Yeah. And Carmen, what do you do? And, and oh, wow. How long you, how'd you get into that, Carmen? You know, whatever that is. And so it just helps, you know, you stay on the other person. But when you learn two more things to the other person, for Ford is what each of us geek out about our own Ford. You know, I want to talk to you about my boys. I want to talk to you about you know, their wrestling careers. I want to talk to you about what I like to do. You know, I, I still, I played baseball in college. I still play hardball, not so I get mad when people softball. No, not softball. I play 50 and older hardball, no. right? Yeah. So you're 50? I'm almost 60. Hmm. But my point is like, you know, that's my Ford. And if you would allow me, I would bore the crap out of you and talk about hardball for, you know, whatever, right? So that's what we want to get from other people. Now you can follow up and say, Carm, how's, you know, your daughter? Your daughter's getting married next September, I believe, Very in good. Lake Chautauqua. Oh, no kidding. You remembered. Oh, at the uh, amphitheater or, or, or near the amphitheater. Yeah, Anthem. Right. <laughs> you keep that and you follow up and you, you send them a, an email in, in, in August saying, hey, good luck. I know that's coming. Or in 
October saying, how was your daughter's wedding? He's like, how does John know? Right. And so it's collecting at Ford. And, and, and what we talked about is, you know, you probably could get Ford out of what's in my car. Exactly. In my trunk, there's, you know, a bat bag because I coach Little League or the Diet Coke or the Mickey in the back seat. All that's Ford. Yeah. And you can do so much with that from starting a conversation. Or if you're a VIP and I see that you were, you know, you know, had a, a Wisconsin Badger thing. I'm going to send you something Wisconsin Badger or congratulate you that they, you know, want a, a, you know, a huge game against their rival or something. That's what Ford is. And you collect this information in your CRM programs. So even if you're not the one seeing this customer that you've acquired data on building a relationship, you're not doing it to do anything but to forge a great relationship and let my shop be the place you come to because it doesn't matter about price. They care about me. Car, maybe I was your technician last year. Maybe I'm the, the business owner. I know you. And you just happen to mention why you need your car back because, you know, your daughter's, uh, you know, wedding's coming up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now the next time you come in, maybe I'm not there, but my technician or my uh, service advisor says, Carm, how was your daughter's wedding? And you look at me like, how do you know that? Oh, Carm, you're, you're our favorite guy. We all know that. And that's because someone documented it. He pulled it up. It said daughter got married or is getting married, you know, September 23. It's as easy as that. Intelligence gathering. It's, and we call it customer intelligence. Customer intelligence. Yeah. Ford, give, give us the acronym again. Family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. And it's brilliant. All of it. Thank you. I fell in love with that in the book. I know you covered it this morning. So Disney, they teach, um, people, in the role they play and uh, the role they play in people's lives, how important it is. And when that grudge buy comes in, you have to be the hero. Yeah. And Disney's the hero for everyone who goes on vacation. Right. A hundred percent. Like you, I went to the Disney Institute. This is back in the nineties. And part of it, I got to tour magic kingdom on ground and I see snow white on break, smoking a cigarette, complaining about her boyfriend. I was blown away. I'm like, I'm literally seeing snow white, smoking a cigarette, talking about how he was a jerk and yada, da 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 da. Five minutes later, she goes back inside. She freshens herself up. She punches back in. She goes up these stairs through these bushes. She reappears on Magic Kingdom ground and 15 little five, six and seven year olds come charging at her. And she turns back in this beautiful angelic princess posing for pictures, signing their pads. And that's the beauty. You know, Disney does such an incredible job downstairs on break. She was Susie Smith. That was 22. They had jerk for a boyfriend or a dwarf or whatever he is. But my son was there to see Snow White, and that's exactly what she gave him because Disney teaches them that. We have to recognize the challenges that people have in life who work for us and are the face of the customer. And there's going to be, if you will, Snow White moments from the basement, right? They have to understand their role when it comes to being on. And if they're going to be off, they need to go somewhere to be off. I think that's a great analogy. Right. In Disney, it's underground. You're right. off. Right. When you're up, you're on. And uh, understand that as hard as your life may be, the other person across from you could have gotten a bad diagnosis just a few hours ago, yes. even though they dropped their car off earlier in the day. Right. Right. And you never know the other person's room. The, the other beautiful thing about when you train your team members to leave it at the door, that they're paying for their experience, not yours. So if you got a flat tire, you got into a fight with your boyfriend, you know, whatever, your last customer, you know, was not the nicest. The next customer doesn't pay for that. That, you know, it doesn't have less of an experience. And the other benefit to is it helps the employees, right? Because if you allow me or I allow myself to vent to everyone that comes in about, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Obviously it's, it's taken me down a dark hole, right? But if I have to, you know, put that and and I got my therapist and my best friend event, but no one else needs to hear about it. And I need to, you know, make your day. When we're day makers, the person that feels the best at the end of the day is is the actual day maker, right? I go home and I'm like, man, there's three people that I know had a better day as a result of coming in contact with me. And that's why world-class companies at customer service have lower employee turnover and higher employee morale because they, you know, foster that type of culture. And, you know, sometimes someone will come and say, you did what for a customer? You're allowed? And you say, hell yeah, we're allowed. That's nothing. And they might say, I would have gotten fired at my last job, you know, for doing that. 
I'll be honest with you, you'd get fired at this job if you didn't do that. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this, you know, I'm going home feeling a lot better about myself. I'm getting beat up less by the customer, right? Because I'm able, I don't have to hide behind policy. I can go get them the diet Sprite and don't have to ask permission and, and the company will pay for it and see the look on their face or whatever that is. That's rewarding. That's fulfilling. Some of our best operators are doing that. They're putting stuffed toys in the back seat. They're washing and cleaning inside and out of people's vehicles because they uh, want to be a daymaker for yeah. people. They want to be. So if there's anything, uh, as you're listening to this episode, and we're, we're going to button this up now, uh, be a daymaker and be the hero to your customer. And if you don't do the customer thing right, you're not going to do, you're gone. I, I, I just think. Well, you better be the cheapest. Oh, yeah, yeah, you better be the cheapest. <laughs> wow. Maybe just about make grocery money every week. Right. Who knows? Right. <laughs> John and Julius, thank you so much for opening up some time while you're here. Uh, in Cancun, your Transformers. Appreciate it so Thank much. you, Karma. It's great seeing you and great finally meeting you in person yeah, same and, here. Same and uh, you know, feeling your energy. So w- the last time I interviewed John, he didn't have a beard. I never seen you with glasses on. So last night, uh, last night I come up to him and says, John, did, uh, I had to take three stops to say, is this really you? Because yeah. I hadn't seen you. Uh, nice transformation. I like it. Oh, good. I, you know, I, I went back. My fiance is with me. You got confused with my three boys yeah. and uh, well, or right. my boys. But I went up last night and I said, uh, this guy, Carm, said he saw me and he, he showed me my picture because you look nothing like this. But he didn't say, like, if that was a good or a bad. I go, I have no idea, like, if he just insulted me or, or, or was telling me, you know, I need to update my picture. Oh, that's a really old picture. Yeah, I know. That's a really old yeah. picture. Look at that. So I, The Secret Service book is the best because in that I have my mullet. I mean, I miss my no. mullet. Yeah. This is the one that you yeah. look like right yeah. here. It's in relationship economy. That's maybe a better turn to the camera. Oh yeah. <laughs> By the way, I was looking all over for this. Right. Right. Night. And I came to you like this yeah. <laughs> and you're like, can I help you? But the other thing I, you know, Carm, that I guarantee threw you off. If you want to admit this is I'm much shorter than people realize this happens to me. I can't tell you how many times this happened to me, especially when I can't get off a stage at a big conference. So I'm up on stage, you know, there might be 500, a thousand people in the audience. They see me and they say, you know, John will be signing books at, you know, booth, whatever, you know, I'll come, you know, I'll be ready and I'm signing books. This happens so many times. Someone will come up and say, uh, where is he? I'm like, where's who? You, you know, the guy. I'm like, the guy, the author. Yeah, that's me. They know, it's really. I'm like, it's me. And they can't believe uh, something, you know, that, that stage makes me look a lot bigger. To, and that probably threw you off when you look down and you're like, I don't know. Should you. I be honest with you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it did. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> That's okay. Yes, it I did. own it. I own it. <laughs> but you were pretty big on stage today. Well, thank you. I thank, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for being here, John. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 